All right, let's get going. Okay. We uh we are on. Uh, welcome to SVU. Oh, fucking. This is how this is gonna go, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, don't. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Already, right off the bat. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode four, Lust. The opening scene is there are two dudes at a park and they're kind of arguing about how this guy's golden retriever radio doesn't listen to shit. I'm kind of thinking that they're like a gay couple in the park <gasps> and this is like New York's way of being like, or oh. like the early 2000s way of being like, you know, because the guy's got a cup of coffee and he's like, well, he listens to me and he's like, well, you know, I paid all this money. You know what I mean? Gabe? That was not in your original notes, and I was going to jump in. This is what I said. One of the guys is a douche in a suit who's a lazy dog owner. That's how I'm struck by him. And the other guy Mm -hmm. is his partner who has a gentle, loving approach and is trying to learn how to be a good dad to radio, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, But I immediately got couple vibes. Obviously, I think that was the intention, but it took me two watches because I'm like, they didn't put gay people that weren't Will and Grace on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you had to be, like, Jack and Karen. Otherwise, people didn't get it. But these were just, you know, it was just a normal couple, right? I shouldn't say normal. Just like your average couple out with their dog. Well, for early 2000s, yeah, everything was like, ooh, the gay best friend that's, like, really good at interior design. And everybody's like, oh, that's the gay one. Yeah. Like, they're they're everywhere. They're just people. Right. And that's how that's exactly. So that's how they're being portrayed is, like, they're just people in the park with their dog. And you're like, right. I love that for 2002, even though everything else is horrible. But yeah, I mean, we also have no idea if they are, but I was like, they are. They are. The dude in the suit is Matt Servido, and he plays Agent Dwight Harris from The Sopranos. There are five people in this episode that were in The Sopranos. I, I feel like I need a fucking string board for people that are connected to not only The Sopranos, but Suits. And fucking Oz. It won't do anything yeah. for anybody, but... No, it'll just be a thing um, for your, yourself. Yeah, It would be satisfying to have. I'm going to do it. As soon as I get manic enough, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Sounds healthy. Also, <laughs> this guy was in the episode Parasites last season, and next season he'll be in another episode. So... He's like, look, he comes, he listens to me, but radio doesn't listen to shit. Mm. The dog runs off and the dude's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and chases after him. Doug, call 911. <laughs> yeah. But then immediately starts freaking out. He's like, oh my God, there's a pair of like bloody legs sticking out from some bushes. I gasped so fucking hard because I forgot what we were watching. I was like so convinced about this dog and his dog life with his owner who doesn't appreciate him. And I'm like, radio. <laughs> and then he runs and finds this dead body. And I'm like, oh, SVU. That's right. What a weird, interesting name for a dog, too. <sighs> Radio. Cute. Three syllables. Fast forward. These dudes are talking to Munch and Stabler. The guy who found the victim said that her face was so fucked up, he couldn't even tell what she looked like. <sighs> Benson says the victim looks like she's in her 50s or 60s. There's no ID, but there is a key on a string. And the body's still warm. Which, don't even get me started on that. I it know. seemed like those guys had been there with the dog for a while. I don't mm-hmm. know. Don't even... Uh. Yeah. So she was beaten to shit and stabbed. What the perp did to her face, he also did to her groin. There's a small bloody paw print on the victim's neck. It's too small to be radios. Mm -hmm. The victim also had dog treats on her. She must have been walking her dog. A CSI guy shows Benson and Munch a bloody knife wrapped in plastic. I think the handle, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then Benson's like, oh, what is that? And the CSI guy is like, what? Oh! It's that thing where Benson finds stuff before, like, the professional CSI guy do. It was just in her line of vision. Yeah. When they were talking, she, like, looked over his shoulder because she was bored. And she's like, oh. oh." Yeah. It's a very yellow, very noticeable rain poncho. (laughs) 
<laughs> so the perp must have been using it so he wouldn't get any blood spatter on himself. Munch and Benson also find a leash tied to a tree. Looks like the pup wriggled free, ran to their owner, then took off. And then Munch is like, maybe Lassie went to get help. In the ME office, Coroner Warner tells Munch and Benson that the Vic had 37 super deep puncture wounds to her breasts. She also died of acute pneumothorax, mm-hmm. which means she drowned in her blood. It was brutal. The perp didn't leave any fluids behind, but her vaginal wounds had wooden splinters. Oh my God. They found a bloody branch at the scene and the splinters on the victim matched yes. that tree branch. The, they have to do a facial reconstruction because her face was just fucking beat to hell. Yeah. She also had a big old ring on her finger. Yeah, Benny's like, wow, that's some ring. Whoever married her had some bucks. And I'm like, what kindergartner wrote that fucking line? <laughs> Whoever married her had some bucks. Am I right, guys? All those monies. <laughs> Jeremy's stepson. <laughs> All those buddies. <laughs> Corner Warner says it might go faster if they look for a missing woman in the Vic's age group with a limp. The Vic's leg is one inch shorter than the other, and she wears an insert in one of her shoes. In the squad room, the gang is going over the deets. Cragen said that this is a classic case of overkill. Any one of those stab wounds would have killed her, but the perp kept going. Stabler walks in and tells everybody that parent-teacher conferences ran late. He's such a dad, and everyone's gotta know. Everyone! Everyone's kind of brainstorming ideas about who this perp is. Toot said that maybe it's some psycho that gets off on seeing someone suffer. Munch says it could be someone off their meds. Okay. Stabler Mm -hmm. says it could be personal. They don't know who she is yet and Cragen doesn't have any time for their theories. The Mm -hmm. media is already breathing down my neck. We fucking know Cragen. Okay, but they don't have anything. Nobody can come up with anything. Yeah. Craigan wants Benson and Stabler to go back to the park and talk to joggers or anyone that could have seen anything or knew anything. The phone doesn't ring at all, but Toots is in the background and he answers it, doesn't talk on it and hangs it up. Well, the pet police called. A dog was brought to the vet with bloody paws at the vet. Munch and Toots are talking to a vet holding the dog. That kid is back on the escalator. It's the same fucking cutie King Charles that someone brought to shadow for an NBC page gig, but he keeps getting extra work instead for some reason. (laughs) It's like white and gingery. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Same dog. Yeah. Same exact dog. Third episode. This is the Uncle Frank of dogs. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I like it. It's true. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> some joggers i just pictured the dog being like look what you did you little jerk with a christmas sweater on <laughs> some joggers found this little pup in the park and thought that he was hurt the dog has no id not even microchipped the concept of microchipping a dog is like blowing munch and toots mind like this must have been the <laughs> beginning of that yeah she's like you can scan it and it tells you where it lives that's you like know? the first thing we do when a dog comes in right. you, and they're like <sighs> And Munch, oh God, I can just imagine Munch is like, yeah, we're all probably microchip too. Oh my God, it's happening. It's happening. So this woman had to wash off the blood that was all over this pup to see if the dog was hurt. It actually wasn't the dog's blood. She apologizes to the detectives. She didn't know it was like a person's blood. She did happen to keep a shoe that had an insert in it. So she said that the dog had it in his mouth when he came in and there's no fucking way. The shoe There's no way that dog ran off from the park carrying that, that some people he didn't know picked him up and then he still kept the fucking... The dog is a King Charles so it's like not even... It's like 18 pounds, right? The shoe is the size of a fucking chihuahua. This is like a Shaquille O'Neal shoe. shoe. Oh my god, and King Charles have like these itty bitty little mouths. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And his little mouth on this brand new, we've never seen him before in our lives, King Charles would never <laughs> be just dragging that shoe around. Just, oh, I've just got this shoe in my mouth. And the person's just gonna be like, okay, well, you just hold on to your shoe. Remember Pizza Rat? Remember that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It would be, <laughs> it's the same, but for a dog and a shoe. Same size yeah. discrepancy. No. Yeah. There's no way you didn't drop that like five times on accident because no. your mouth no. is tiny. This has nothing to do with anything, but I was still like, that. that's a liar. Yeah. Yeah. The insert in the shoe is manufactured by OrthoWalk. Munch says they're going to take the shoe and the pup. And Munch mm-hmm. cutely picks up the dog. We know this dog well enough that I think this dog needs a name. And I already named it. And his name is Cashew. Okay. Okay. At OrthoWalk Industries, Munch is still carrying the dog and talking to some dude who confirms the insert is from them. When the guy is checking out the serial number, Munch is giving the dog like five million little kisses and I love it. Toots hates it. He was like, I'm going to put my partner down or something and murder the dog or I don't know what he said. (laughs) What? He just was like overly not into like Munch liking dogs. I don't know. Even though IRL Ice-T is a real dog guy. Yeah. The insert guy says it belongs to, and he's like, oh, Dr. Esterman. She worked for the Department of Health. In the lab, lab dude who was also like Boston Rob's twin brother or something. He's not our regular lab hottie. Immediately upon seeing him, I thought, oh, is this John Leguizamo's stand-in or something? Yeah. And then later you were like, do you think he looks like Mark Ruffle? And I know you meant Mark Ruffalo, but it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, this guy was a compilation of five different dudes. Yeah, he is the... <laughs> what? Never mind. Okay. I thought you were going to say he is the Uncle Frank of guys who look like brunette dudes. I'm never doing the Uncle Frank thing because I don't know who he is. The lab dude is taking prints off the dog and he's like, I'm my first time taking dog. The paw prints match the print they found on the victim. They also did a swab to find any DNA. Like maybe the dog took a fucking chunk of the perp or something. Mm-hmm. Toots tells the gang that the victim's full name is Dr. Greta Esterman. Her husband's yes. name is Arthur and he's like some sort of society lawyer or something. Benson and Stabler are going to go talk to him. But don't forget the dog. <laughs> I, en- I thought <laughs> I, I thought Munch was going to have a hard time letting the dog go. But Oh, my God. I enjoy and appreciate Munch's relationship to dogs. And like it's really opening things up here. And I especially like that I know that you have to like it, too. I do like it. Yeah. I it know. Almost, it almost warmed my little frozen heart for Munch. Yeah. So. At the Esterman residence, Benson and Stabler are talking to the husband, Arthur, and he's understandably upset. He's also that one guy, and I was just like, whatever, Tasha, go ahead. Yeah, Anthony Fauci. JK. <laughs> it's Michael Gross. He looked, when I saw him, I'm like, that one guy, and he, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking, he reminded me of the guy from MASH, but okay. I don't think it's him. It's not. Alan Alda? He's in, yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. So, it's Michael Gross, okay? He's the dad from Family Ties. That shit's from the 80s. So you're like in the realm of it. Michael J. Fox was like the one rebelling. So he was like a conservative Republican and the rest of the family was like hippies. Cool. (laughs) He was also in all the Tremors movies. He comes back to SVU in 2016. He has a nice little reoccurring role in Grace and Frankie. He was on fucking Suits. Oh my God, that's right. He was married to fucking Reba McIntyre in fucking Tremors. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had all the guns. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. And then also in looking at his credits, he's in an exorbitant amount of Christmas movies. And even with that, I'm suspicious of this guy. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because he's like recognizable. Yeah. But yeah. So he's like, oh, I, 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 I get to act surprised that I'm suspicious of him. Oh, no, it's OK. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm like, I'm suspicious of this guy. And you're like, well, yeah, I mean, he's the famous guy. That's part of the that's what we do here. Yeah. But I, I mean, I also was like, because you never know, because sometimes a famous person isn't. You know what I mean? They fucking mix it around. They need to. So he's like, oh, I never should have let her go all by herself. Benson apologizes and was like, we have to ask you some of these questions. Like, where were you this morning? He says he didn't leave the house until like 9 a.m. to go play tennis tennis he wasn't worried about Greta because he sleeps late and sometimes she takes the dog to work so it them not being there when he was you know during the day wasn't a big deal but it is 10 p.m now and he's like well she has been working late so I still he didn't think anything was wrong he tells Benson Stabler Greta treated folks with HIV she also traced exposures and their patterns and a lot of people felt like she violated their privacy she probably had a lot of people who didn't like her the way she was attacked makes it look that way I mean it seemed real personal Mm. like a month ago he was in Greta's office waiting for her to come back so they could go to lunch and her phone rang he answered it and it was some super pissed dude saying like Greta ruined his life and he was gonna ruin hers yeah cut to Benson Stabler talking to the commissioner at the Department of Health she's telling them that Greta got a ton of hate mail and super shitty phone calls. Greta had to tell people that they had been exposed to HIV, but she couldn't give out any information on the person who maybe gave it to them. And that shit gets heated. You know what I mean? People are like, what? Like, just fucking tell me. Right. But I do understand like why she can't. Last year, a dude set his pit bull on one of the department's tracers. I mean, if we're going to talk dogs, I don't like the use of, of a pity in this context. It perpetuates a stereotype. I know. Greta was a bad bitch and was super dedicated to her work and she just gave her staff mace. Mm-hmm. The commissioner lady shows them to Greta's office and Benson asks for a list of the cases where there were threats of violence. This lady can't give out the names of AIDS patients, but she can give them the hate mail and Greta's personal paperwork. She's also going to give them Greta's phone log. The commissioner definitely wanted to have some of the threats looked at, but Greta didn't want to because she felt like, quote, anger was a normal response and they'd move on to acceptance. Mm-hmm. In the squad room, everyone's wearing gloves and combing through Greta's shit. Greta and her husband seem to be kind of socialite-ish. It seems like they were a part of a lot of events and gave a lot of money to charities. Everybody in the precinct is getting into ethics arguments about the right to privacy and the right to know if someone's been exposed to HIV. Benny and Munch are butting heads, obviously. Munch says that he has an issue when the government starts drawing up lists. And Mm -hmm. I don't disagree. I know. It's a really weird... It's a lot more nuanced than the black Mm -hmm. and white that they're... the is going. Toots jumps in and he's like, oh my God, knock it off. I don't need Munch getting off in his conspiracy theory bullshit. We're going to be here all fucking day. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Benson's like, oh, well, good thing we're stopping because I think I found something. Oh, you did? It's a yellow rain jacket <laughs> in this binder. No, it was um, Benson found Greta's notes from a voicemail that she had received. She found an even smaller dog with an even bigger <laughs> shoe. <laughs> So Greta had to, the, the notes that she had taken about this voicemail was that this person said that they were going to, quote, copulate her to death. Mm-hmm. The caller ID said it was from a Roger Pomerantz. She probably didn't call that threat in because just like her boss had said, Greta really thought that these people were hurting and not going to actually harm her. Munch finds Roger Pomerantz in the computer. This dude was in prison for sodomy one. And he was released two months ago and hasn't been checking in with his parole officer. What the fuck is sodomy one? We've had this conversation because we're like, isn't it just rape? That's what I, yeah. Okay, we have. But it's like getting specific. At Butter's Better Bread. Do the... (laughs) I thought that, yes, yes. (laughs) When I saw it, I was like, Butter's Better Bread. (laughs) 
At Butter's Better Bread, Brinson and Stabler are walking <laughs> through this warehouse talking about how dumb this Roger guy is for calling Greta and making threats from his home phone. Yeah. They find Dude, and he is a mountain huge, of a man. Huge, yeah. He's enormous. They tell him to put his hands up, and this guy <laughs> turns around, and he's, he's like, holding <laughs> one of those... Like one of those pizza, brick oven pizza paddle, paddle things that you put the pizza yeah. in with or whatever. Well, for bread. Yeah. And he hits Stabler like he's dazed and confused Ben Affleck with a hazing paddle. Like he turns around and he's like, slap in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> I took a video of it. <laughs> I took so many videos of dumb little shit this episode, dude. It, it was, there was a lot. So this guy gets like four inches and Munch and Toots catch him and it takes everybody who's there munch yeah. toot stabler benson the boom mic operator fucking yeah. everybody on set to subdue this guy he's huge his bulging veins make his bald head look like a fucking snickers <laughs> munch says resisting is a parole violation and roger's like bite me eat my shorts he's an svu three-timer this is his first mm. so we'll see him two more times different dudes in an interrogation room benson and stabler are going over the guy's long rap sheet assault um, one menacing knife point mm. stranger rape roger's like she was just a hooker who got pissed off because i wouldn't pay for a lousy lay he sucks yeah. I mean, don't even get me started on that. It's like goods and services, but like you agreed to a certain price regardless of the, just, just give her, just give her her fucking, don't money. give her five stars. Give her a one star yeah. review. Still tip 20% and get the fuck out of there. Yeah. He says that he just got married and gets sex whenever. And then he looks at Stabler and he's like, looks like she could use a good, and he oh, gives yeah. like a little, and she's like, I'm sorry, a good what? You don't like women in authority. And he's like, yeah, I don't. Fuck you. Greta was an authority figure. He says, that bitch got in my business. Anybody want a peanut? <laughs> <laughs> he was huge. He was, he huge. was a big man. He had this tiny little Miller Lite in his hand. <laughs> Apparently. Don't. Uh, okay. You did that she on called, purpose. <laughs> Greta called his wife to tell her that Roger had the clap, which she had to do by law. Hmm. And Roger was pissed and called her and he, quote, exercised his freedom of speech. Benson tells him that calling her isn't a crime. Murder is. And he's like, what? And jumps up and lunges <laughs> at Benson. Yeah. Stabler had to jump up on him and put him in a fucking headlock. That was a real headlock, by the way, too, because the guy was like. Gah. Oh, yeah. Stabler was riding this guy like a fucking rodeo bull. Mm -hmm. He was like flopping him around. As he was calling and getting mad, Stabler was going like, shh, calm down, buddy. Like you could see him being like, shh, shh, shh. But the best is that Benson was on the other end of it going, yeah, but, and she was like hyping him up. She does that. Like I, I've seen her like step sideways and Stabler's like, wow. She's like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> the last couple episodes, she's been like an explosive energy matcher. She did it to that chick in the courtroom. Remember when that one white lady was like, I'm leaving. And they're like, she's um, like, you Stupid bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Benson's like, oh, um, ba, 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 from the gallery. While she's being held back by two guys. Yeah. Yeah. And this woman's like, let me at her. And she's like, oh, ho, ho, arms out. But yeah, okay, she's anyways, doing it to so, this guy. Yeah. Benson is in Roger's face saying, you fucking murdered Greta. He says he didn't do it. Stabler like really has him in his headlock and is trying to get him to calm down. She asks him where he was at 7 a.m. He kind of calms down and sits down. He's like, ha, got you here, bitches. I was at breakfast with the dudes and we all went to work together. <laughs> we had breakfast in a booth 
all of us together. We split it moons over my hammy and then we all piled into the same car and drove to work together. Holding hands. And we listened to Carly Rae Jepsen. It was our favorite album in high school and it's our favorite now. And we're all best friends. And we're all going to live in a retirement community together when we get older. Men can have emotional connections as well. And it really um, turned me on to that guy. Link some dicks, dudes. <laughs> link your dicks. Please link your dicks and stop I was going to say harassing us, but I guess raping and killing. Let's start with that. Yeah, let's not don't do, do that. that anymore. Start there. Please. There. I asked nicely. And then let's get it down to don't call me sweetheart or ask me to smile. Yeah. Munch and Toots are doing a walk and talk with Daddy Cragen. Roger's alibi checks out. Greta's husband, Arthur, he's there and he introduces himself to Cragen. He has like a big bag of Greta's papers and stuff that he thought were important. Okay. You can hear in the background Roger yelling at Benson and Stabler and he's handcuffed and he's like, I didn't kill that bitch and I'm suing for false arrest. And then Arthur's like, oh my God, is that him? And fucking runs over and punches Roger in the face. Oh my God. And it was like a total stock fucking punch sound. <laughs> like dro- like like the sound where it like, sounds like a, somebody dropped a bag of sand or it was like. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, it was great. Oh my God. And he like um, jump punched too. He like cartoon jump punched like, into the guy. <laughs> Luckily, Roger's still handcuffed because that dude would have fucking crushed his face. Just destroyed yeah. him. There's a scuffle and everyone's holding them both back and they shove Roger in a cell. They're helping Arthur pick up his stuff and tell him they're going to help him. But he like can't be doing that. Can't be doing that shit, Arthur. Yep. Don't um physically assault people in the precinct. Thanks, Arthur. Yeah. In some conference room in the precinct, Benny and Stabes are sitting with Arthur going over all of the papers that he brought in. He tells them he hasn't been able to sleep without his wife and found a bunch of Greta's work she brought home last week. So he brought it to the precinct to see if it could help. He says she seemed to be worried about one case in particular. She didn't tell him what it was exactly, except that she said it was a really bad situation she needed to stop. Mm-hmm. So all of this paperwork just looks like medical sciencey stuff that nobody seems to be able to translate circles and arrows. But they're like, we need to talk to Coroner Warner. Mm-hmm. So in the squad room, Coroner Warner, who looks like she just had an incredible hydration facial, mm-hmm. is in front of the whiteboard. Cragen's bummed because she had to erase the cat drawing to draw <laughs> a giant graph. OK, she says mm-hmm. it took her most of the night, but she figured out what Greta was working on. It's a contact trace. Each Mm -hmm. circle represents a person with HIV connected to the person who gave it to them. Greta was trying to find the common source of infection. There's a ton of people connected and they all live in Little Italy, but most don't know each other. Greta Mm -hmm. was looking for some dude. She called him the Nexus. He's the center of this epidemic. Benson references, quote, a dude in St. Louis and one in Jamestown who were prosecuted for knowingly spreading HIV. We actually Mm -hmm. did a chaser on one of those dudes, New Sean Williams. This was last season, season three, episode four, Rooftop. Go check it out. But yeah, um, that was... That whole thing. Knowingly giving HIV to... That fucking episode was wild. Uh, yeah. The Nexus guy could have felt like Greta was getting close to IDing him, and that could be a motive for murder. A few of the threatening calls Greta had were from a payphone in Little Italy. They got to start their investigation where Greta left off. Corner Warner said that Greta had a few more people to interview and gave them the list. The first person is a college student, Mike Andretti. 
at Hanford University, Stabler asked Mike why he didn't wear a condom right off the bat. He's like, I'm a fucking Catholic, and if my mom finds me with one, I'm dead. And then he's like, well, now I'm dead anyway. You know, Benson's like, HIV is not a death sentence anymore. There's new drugs and stuff. Which is, like, important for her to note, and I'm glad that she did. But it's also, like, such a weird dialogue to get there. If my mom would have seen me with a condom, I'd be dead. Now I'm dead anyway. I'm smoking cigarettes behind the school. Like, what are you talking about? It was super weird. It was very after school special. Like, yeah. Hey, I'm not worried about the AIDS. I'm worried about if my mom ever finds out. Yeah. He's like, I'm talking about if mom finds out. I'm like, what the fuck? They want to know who he slept with. Oh my God. This guy, he says it was with some quote hot lady that was all over him and was married. And oh my God, it was his first sexual partner that he'd ever had, which yeah. sucks. He like really doesn't want to tell them the lady's name. And he's like, the whole neighborhood will know that she's sick. And he was like, she looked fine, which was like, oh my God. Benson's like eye control at that moment to like not roll her eyes super hard was uh-huh. like, give her a fucking Oscar. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this kid gives in and says her name is Vincenza Agosto. While this was happening, I was like, oh my God, I thought the hot lady he banged was going to be Greta. And it just turned out he was super into elderly women. Oh. But but no, that that's not. Yeah. At a park, Benson and Stabler are talking to Vincenza. She said, it's all that bastard Joey's fault. Yeah. Joey is her shit husband who was off sleeping with the stripper. Vincenza says that Joey knew she had HIV, but was lucky and didn't get it. They ask her who infected her. Ugh. So she says a month before the wedding, she cut Joey off to have like a good honeymoon and like build up the sexual tension. Mm-hmm. And Joey agreed. But then she found out that he had a stripper on the side. She goes, he had that slut on the side. It cuts to Benson and she just goes. <sighs> like I she inhaled super hard and I was like, yeah. yes. I agree, but we have bigger fish to fry and we both know it. And Mariska Hargitay and I made eye contact and we were like, we're not doing this right now. Yeah. But we both know <laughs> that thing that best friends do when they're together somewhere and they're like, we're going to talk about this later. That's what we yeah. did. <laughs> so, yeah, v- Vincenza found out he had a side piece because they got back from Niagara Falls and he had given her chlamydia. Niagara Falls, I'm assuming, was their honeymoon, I guess. Yeah. Joey admits it. So she's pissed and like revenge bones that college kid, Mike. She says that's the only other person she slept with. And then I'm like, oh, my God, does her husband have it and lied about being positive? Is he the nexus? But wait, because like right after that, they explained what it was. And so I was like, wait. Yeah. (laughs) They tell her that Mike swears he got it from her. Then she admits to sleeping with a bartender at a club named Mario. And they all pronounce it like Mario. Mario. So New York. So Ramona singer at the heaven nightclub munch and toots are talking to a dude who's starting an opening shift i'm assuming there's chairs Mm -hmm. still up on the tables and everything this guy doesn't get a name but based on the cartoonishly new yorky soprano-y stereotype this guy is presenting i'm going to assume his name is Vinny a tony okay i was hoping you were gonna say luigi but that's fine why because of mario (laughs) yeah okay mario luigi he says no mario ever worked here and munch goes uh, did Mario tell you to say that? This dude's like, yes, yeah, somebody else was here asking the same shit. And Toots pulls up a photo of Greta and asks if she's the other person who asked about Mario. He goes, oh yeah, the doctor. I just figured it was some kind of paternity thing. They tell him that it's actually a health department thing and it's about spreading HIV. And Vinny Deeren headlights them for a second Ugh, and says, "Yeah, you mean AIDS? Like there wasn't a full blown fucking plague in the gay community in recent history. Like right. it's 2002 and we were all very aware of right. mm-hmm. nobody, uh, don't even. 
I'm not even. So this guy admits that Mario did work there, but he quit a few weeks ago, right after Greta came around. Vinny's kind of freaking out. Like you can see his anxiety talking to the detectives. Mm -hmm. He says that he never slept with any of the same people that Mario did. He goes, Mario, he's too far out there for me, man. This guy's into orgies, threesomes, you know, another girl, another guy, anything to get off. I'm a two position kind of dude, my dude. (laughs) Missionary (laughs) and jackhammer missionary normal stuff (laughs) (laughs) no homo (laughs) don't even look at my butthole don't even look at it (laughs) i do the porking around here (laughs) face to face little kisses missionary style (laughs) kiss like you got a bit of salt from a pretzel you get on your lips you gotta get you start it. getting too fancy pretty soon you got assless chaps on what do you do? it's not my life <laughs> i'm not that guy i'm luigi <laughs> that's mario's thing so normal stuff okay i'm not into this crazy sex that he's into but but why do you sound like coach steve <laughs> i know <laughs> like kind of dipping into that <laughs> dipping dipping into the warm you mean <laughs> uh, uh, so anyway this dude the student mario never boned or boned the same people but they shared steroid needles image enhances he says Vinny is soups put out about the whole thing which is a fun reaction for a terrible piece of news to receive they're like well you know you're sharing this with them that could be a problem and he's like oh, now i'm gonna have to get tested I'm really screwed, you guys. Like, <laughs> like cool. Anyways. <laughs> Munch and Toots want a list of who he's been sleeping with since he started sharing needles with Mario. I am sad that we never get to see this guy again, but don't worry. His name is George Palermo, and he's currently in pre-production for a new project called Forget About It. Oh, Jesus. F-U-H-G-E-D-D. Forget yeah. about it. Cute. All right. In the squad room, Benson's telling the whole gang that Greta identified 47 cases within five distinct clusters before she was killed. Since SVU's been on this, they've picked up 32 more cases. Fuck. Mm. They believe that the nexus is Mario Molinari. 12 women and two men connect directly to him, and the rest are their sexual partners passing it on. Mario has priors, assault, rob one, weapons possession with a knife. He's from the neighborhood, too. Cragen says, let's go find Typhoid Mario. Like, trying to do on a play on typhoid mary and i hated it yeah and i hated it you know what i kind of liked it see i'm right here in this double dutch it's gonna come right to me <laughs> typhoid mario <laughs> they're like yeah <laughs> this might be my favorite scene of all time outside of a grocery store benson and stabler are talking to an older new yorkie man drinking espresso and playing dominoes and a track jacket and a fedora mm-hmm. and i am smitten by him mm-hmm. this guy i was thinking about him as i was walking walter i'm like you know what that guy has never Never worn sneakers a day in his life. Mm-hmm. The most casual shoe that guy has ever worn is a fucking penny loafer. It's dress shoes only for this guy. We know you. Yeah. This guy's all hands, all hands and attitude. Sure, I know Mario. Who doesn't? Popular guy. A lot of girls come looking for him. You're not the first. Benson shows him and his unfazed domino pals a photo of Greta and asks if she has come looking for Mario. He goes, nah, no, young girls, pretty. Then he does a little chef's kiss and says, Madonna, che bellissima. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's, where is he now? We get it. He goes, uh, he's up at St. Catherine's. Then he goes, uh, cool. So he's an altar boy too. He's like, no, 
Oh, not the church, the hospital. Ambulance came for him. Uh, he probably wore himself out with all the bada bing, eh? <laughs> so at St. Catherine's Hospital, Mario's all up in bed with air connected and stuff. Yeah, he is cute. Yeah, he is. This is actor Chris Tardio. He's a series guy. He's been in The Sopranos, Ray Donovan, Younger. He had one little spot in Pose, but I just like that. He's a sleaze bag, though, and he's talking about how... <laughs> He's talking about how all these gals like him and shit, and like Benson probably does too. And Staves is like, yeah, and guys. <laughs> he looks into Cameron. He's like, right? Gross. And we're all in the Midwest out in our fucking cornfields, clutching our milky pearls, going, <gasps> and guys. Shut up. Yeah. He like doesn't give a fuck. This guy does. He's like, it's my business who I fuck. Yeah. And he doesn't know why Greta gave a shit, which was like, really? Which I would super agree with like his like, fuck you. This is my business. But you were like spreading HIV. So. Right. He says he didn't kill Greta, but wished he could have seen it. Ew. Benson starts going through his chart. And he's like, hey, don't touch that. So he's there for AIDS-related pneumonia, but he's been in the hospital bed for six days. So it's not him. Mario says, quote, some slut gave him AIDS and didn't give a damn, so he doesn't give a damn either. And the law says they can't tell anyone. Stabler cuffs him to the bed, and Mario is pissed. Yeah, he goes, you can't do that. <laughs> he knew he had AIDS. He had unprotected sex without telling his partners. That is a crime. Benson and Cabot are doing a walk and talk in the squad room. Cabot says she'll charge Mario with attempted murder and reckless endangerment and statutory rape for the underage girls. Benson is worried about all the other people that they can't find who are possibly exposed. Cabot was like, oh, this happened upstate, and the health department put out flyers all over, and people came in and got tested. Craig and Stabler are walking by, and Daddy Craig and says another body in the park and i'm like what the music is all swelly and you see Craigan in the park talking to the media they're worried that the quote central park stalker is back but Craigan hasn't been able to find any forensic connection yet to the murders in the you know central park guy mm -hmm. he's not ruling any of it out though benson and stabler are talking to this horse cop guy he found the victim and he recognized her mona sidley he recognized her by her binoculars but not her face because it's fucked up just like Greta's. Yeah. And then I was like, is he doing this? And how does he know this lady's name from just being a horse cop, you know? Yeah, but he's probably like a, this is my beat horse cop. Yeah. He talks to Mona yeah. regularly. I don't know. I didn't catch any of that, like any of that vibe from him, because I was like, oh my god, his face looks like he had the perfect, I'm about to barf face the whole time. Yeah, he was like, I've seen some DOAs, but not like this. In the ME office, Coroner Warner tells Benson and Stabler that the blood is Mona's. There's no fluid, but she did find one single foreign hair. She's going to test for DNA. She's still not sure if it's the same guy. Greta was stabbed 37 fucking times, but Mona was only stabbed six and her face wasn't beaten nearly as bad as Greta's. Can we stop on that? Because the horse cop literally said Mona mm -hmm. didn't have a face left and now they're saying she didn't have it as bad as Greta. Christ. Yeah. Ugh, there were slivers of glass in the vagina instead of wood from the tree branch like Greta. This dude used a fucking broken bottle. And I'm like, God, I Benson and Stabler think that maybe it's a copycat, but Coroner Warner said that the perp could have gotten the details from the newspaper about Greta's case. In the CSI lab, the dude tells Munch and Toots that for sure is the same dude. Yellow poncho, plastic bag covering the knife, and the same distinctive waffle tread at both seeds. Size 10 hiking boot. This dude got soil samples and pollen samples from both crime scenes and the boot. If they can find the boot, he can match it. Yeah, and... Toots was wearing a plain t-shirt. I didn't even notice. It was just really off brand. It was, I mean, it was a crisp. That guy irons from the shoulders down in his t-shirt. So there's that nice little crease on his sleeve. But yeah. he was dressed like my dad. <laughs> 
In the squad room, Benson, Munch, and Toots are discussing if it's the same dude. Toots 100% believes it is, but Benson thinks that it doesn't make sense that the killer went from stabbing somebody fucking 37 times to stabbing somebody six times. Usually with serial killers, shit gets ramped up and they like do more and more each time. Yeah. Munch says that he could have been gaining self-control with experience. This perp hid Greta under leaves but left Mona exposed. Maybe he liked the attention from Greta's case? Huh? Greta and Mona are both older women who were alone in the park. Maybe the women knew each other and that's their connection. Mona lived alone. She was never married. And so far, Benson hasn't been able to find any of her friends. Greta had buddies, though. Greta always had a standing lunch reservation with Bonnie Vernon. That's such an old lady thing. And I I love love it. it. Yeah. (laughs) Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk with Bonnie. She's great. Let's have a standing lunch every week. In 20 years, let's meet right here in this same spot. Okay, Gabe? (laughs) So sleepless in Seattle. She said that Greta never mentioned any friends that are bird watchers. Remember, Mona had the binoculars on. Yeah. Um, She kind of dives into Greta and Arthur's relationship, tells them that Greta and Arthur eloped after college because her parents didn't really approve of Arthur because... Greta's family had old money. Mm-hmm. Arthur's great and stuff, but he like just plays tennis pretty much. He didn't doesn't really do a whole lot of law. Yeah. Bonnie says that they lived very well, but mostly because of Greta's inheritance. But Arthur and Greta were a super perfect couple, and Arthur was a nice dude who was so old school and he would never have an affair. Greta, on the other hand, had recently asked Bonnie to do a credit report on a dude. Greta never told Bonnie why, but she wondered. It had to be something personal because Greta had city investigators at her disposal for her AIDS cases, and she could have asked any of them. Mm-hmm. Benson asks if she remembers the name, and Bonnie says, who could forget it? Vartan Dadian. And that is a fucking name. Who could forget it? I loved this lady partially because she gave me strong Catherine, my mother-in-law vibes. Mm-hmm. Classy. And just, just the way it, she's a standing yeah. lunch kind of older lady. Yeah. She's walking down the street with them and she's like, oh, we were just such good friends. She was so great. But <laughs> yeah, Arthur was wonderful. Well, he didn't really work. You know, they had such a great relationship and he would never cheat. But I can't say the same for Greta. And it was just yeah, very like, definitely. oh, it was a wonderful, wonderful relationship, but really under the surface. Who knows? Who knows what they were doing? <laughs> Vartan Didion. Now we're at Arthur and Greta's house. Arthur's pissed that Benson and Stabler are even maybe implying that Greta was pork and some other dude. <laughs> He's like, porkin? What? <laughs> My Greta? My wife? Porkin? Okay. They're trying to get him to chill out. <laughs> Why is he Borat? I don't know. And My wife? My a wife. Porkin? <laughs> They're trying to get him to chill out, and they're just letting him know that they aren't jumping to any conclusions just yet. They're just doing their jobs, brah. Steeler asks Arthur if Greta's been acting weird lately. He says that she's been a little off, preoccupied, but it was because of work. She had been working late a lot and sometimes not even coming home. She told Arthur that bars and clubs are a good place to find trace contacts, and Benson's face was like, oh, Jesus. Arthur hasn't heard of a Vartan Dadian and is upset because they thought they had a perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. In Cabot's office, Cabot tells Benson and Staves that she's got Vartan's financials. Nothing crazy going on. There's not a lot of money in there. It's just, you know, your basics going in and out. Nothing exciting. But Cabot says, oh, yes, but there is plenty in another account that was opened up last year. Greta's personal account had been wiring $20,000 a month 
into Vartan's account. What the fuck? Dude had very expensive tastes and looks like he had a fondness for expensive escorts. There's like a billion payments made to Gold Coast models. So bloop, Munch and Toots head over to Gold Coast models. They just waltz right in and the front desk lady is pissed. (laughs) This woman is a fucking Rachel Dratch SNL sketch character and you cannot convince me otherwise. Yes. (laughs) She goes, oh, we don't take walk-ins. You need a referral from a client. The phone rings. She picks it up and goes, Welcome to Gold Coast Models. Angel speaking. Please hold. And then she goes back to being like, you guys, get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) She had like a nasally voice except for when she was on the phone. She had just the wettest curly hair. Yeah. Curly like red hair. Like Kathy cartoon sweat drops flying (laughs) off of it. it Yes. Oh, it was perfect. (sighs) So they just walk right past her and she goes, Darla, I got two cops on their way in. Darla, I got two cops on their way in. That's what she said. She is me to my daughter when she's a teenager. I'm terrified. (laughs) My daughter's name is Darla. Uh, So Darla, bloop, this just gorgeous woman. She opens the door and invites them in the way somebody would welcome MTV Cribs into their house in the 90s. She's like, officers, come on in. I wasn't expecting you, but there's a camera behind her, you know? I loved this entire fucking scene. It was just Mm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Darla starts telling them how it's a legitimate business and Toots is like, save it for Vice. We don't care. We just want some info on Vartan. She tells them that Miss Kitty is satisfying Vartan daily, but she retired because apparently Vartan is going to set her up in a condo, but hasn't yet. So now she's working at the bar at the Broadway Terrace Hotel, not bartending. She's like working the bar. Mm-hmm. Now we're at the Broadway Terrace Hotel. Munch and Toots ask Kitty when's the last time she's seen Vartan. And she's like, mm, I'm not quite sure. And Toots is like, you better remember quick or we'll haul your sweet ass down to the precinct. <laughs> like, chill out. Yeah. She's like, you want to cuff me? And um, her mouth. I, I know I talk about it a bunch, but. Oh, yeah. Her fucking mouth. Did you notice that? Um, And I took a video. <laughs> oh, God. Good. She's like, you want to cuff me? And Toots is like, drop the act. And I would completely argue that he started it. He's like, hey, yeah. you sweet ass, sweet cheeks. We're going to haul you on down if you don't talk to us, you sweet, sweet mouth. <laughs> She's like, uh. <laughs> and he's like, hey, he's stop like, it. it. Stop it. You're making me uncomfortable. I'm like, everything you just said. Okay. She says she saw Varchan two nights ago for dinner, and then they went up to a hotel suite. She's like, are we done? I got to go. And they're like, cancel your plans. You're coming with us. Then she touches Toot's face and says, am I under arrest? And she kept her fucking mouth open for like a weird amount of time (laughs) with her like tongue kind of out a little bit. It was so fucking weird and I hated it. Like she had her tongue out enough where you couldn't see her teeth. Uh, Am I under arrest? Toots is like, if you fucking touch me again, you will be. Now we're at Vartan's apartment. He's an older man. Really adorable. Benson and Stabler want to ask him about dates he's had recently. He's like, oh, I'm flattered because most people don't think there's sex after 60. He says he's not seeing anyone right now. And they're like, um, have you heard of Kitty? And he's like, okay, well, now I know you got the wrong guy. I'm not really interested in pussycats. Gross. That was just a way for them to say pussy on TV. Right? We know that. That was the only time I was like, wait, are you a perp? And he's not. I'm not really interested in mm, pussy guy. He made a meal yeah. of it. It was gross. Yeah. I know. And then he like shoots Stabler a look, which I thought was funny. It's like, <laughs> I want to suck your dick. <laughs> if anybody's porking, it's me and you. 
Stabler's like, not guys, just calf. <laughs> just calf. Face to face. Little kisses. Missionary jackhammer. That's how I finish every time. How else am I going to get it pregnant? So Farchin has never heard of Gold Coast Escort. They show him his bank statements. He's like, uh, what? That's not even my bank. I don't even bank yeah. there. Yeah. And then they're like, well, you know, have you heard of Greta? And he was like, oh, my God, that poor woman from the papers. So he's probably got some like identity theft stuff going on. Mm-hmm. The weird thing is he did go to Harvard, though. That's where Greta and Arthur went. He also graduated in 61. It's also the year Arthur and Greta eloped. What's going on here? We what don't in the hell? We don't know. In an interrogation room, Munch and Toons are talking to Kitty. Little Kit Kat. Oh, yuck. <laughs> what is that? Was that um, Wedding Crashers? Which is like, everybody calls me Kitty Cat. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she says her and Vartan met at Shea Marco restaurant at 9 p.m. And that makes me like super sleepy just thinking of going out to dinner at that time. Nine o'clock, especially like a nice dinner because those take forever. Oh, I'm not going home from dinner at 1130. Anyway, she goes, you want to know what I ate? And Toots goes, nah, I'm not touching that one. And I'm like, was that a toe dip into an ass eating implication on prime time in 2002? I love that for NBC if it was. It's like an Animaniacs for people who know anything about sex beyond Stabler knowledge. (laughs) Benson comes in and asks Munch to come out of the interrogation room. Benson hands Munch a bunch of pics of dudes that went to Harvard and they they want her to pick out the ones she recognized. Yeah. She's like, these are all the dudes that were there at that time. And in that lineup is not only Arthur, but Vartan as well. Guess who it is? Arthur. She picks out Greta's husband, Arthur. And she's like, there's my Vartan. And then I was like, oh my God, I knew it. Which I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Which I didn't. In the squad room, Craig is commanding the room. And they're trying to figure out what the fuck Varther is up to. I've changed his name. (laughs) Vartan to Varther. I forgot you did that. That was the thing that I saw in your notes that I was like, I just love you. That is. And it just like, and it helped clarify it all too. Yeah. Mm. the night of Greta's death he had freaking dinner with Kitty <gasps> and then like another one the day of the funeral Craig is brainstorming that Varther either killed Greta because she found out about the money or so he could be with Kitty and Toots and Munch roll up and Toots says it's both Greta was in the bank last week asking questions about the wire transfer from her personal account to Vartan's aka Arthur aka Varther <laughs> if Greta <laughs> get it <laughs> If Greta divorces Varther, he would be broke. But if she winds up dead, he gets all the money. But they need hard evidence. Kitty ID'd him, and that's enough for a search warrant. Follow the money. Follow the fucking money. Now we're getting somewhere. In Greta and Arthur's apartment, the whole gang's there with some CSI folks going through the apartment. Varther had everything planned out. He gave them Greta's phone threats. He kills her, then kills Mona to make it look like a serial killer killed them both. Stabes goes, that is bold. Arthur walks in and he's like, what in the dang hell is Dean going on here? (laughs) He like wrote it like that too. And he's like, you always I didn't get kill. like sillier at the end of your notes. Like when you're getting close to the end, you get really silly. <laughs> Do I really? What in the ding dong dang hell is going on in here? <laughs> he's like, I didn't kill Greta. Just then Munch comes down the stairs with some really muddy size 10 hiking boots. Oh, Whoop. he prints. He's like, who the fuck is Kitty? I don't know. A single cat. <laughs> 
in the CSI lab, the crud on the boots matched Central Park dirt. But he also had a pollen specialist try and match the pollen found at the crime scenes. Both of them. It's an exact match. <laughs> Are those your skis? Both of them? <laughs> Are those your boot prints? Both of them? Yeah, it's an exact match. In the interrogation room, Benson slides some photos of the boot prints to Varther and tells him it's an exact match. Well, obviously, this is a coincidence. These boots are very popular. <laughs> he also says it's not a coincidence that the shit matches his boots, like the ground material. He went there yesterday to lay flowers for Greta and for poor Miss Sidley. And they're like, oh, that's really convenient. What a great mm. alibi thing to do. Yeah. He says that having secret names and accounts at the bank were out of respect for Greta. And I'm here like, I'm sorry, what? He says that after menopause, Greta did not want to have a lot of sex. She had asked him to be discreet, so that's why he had a fake name. Obviously, Benson and Stabler think he's full of shit. Yeah, Gabe and Stabes are just like doing that hard blink at each other from last episode. What'd you say? I said you Gabe, said Gabe and, and Stabes. Yeah, I did. Oh, I thought you meant, okay. No, I meant you, because you are okay. also in the room and you guys are looking at each other like this. <sighs> in between make out sessions, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, you're full of shit. Oh my God. Can you believe this guy? I can't believe you. (laughs) And then Benson's like, get a room, you guys. Like, no, watch. (laughs) This is our room, bitch. (laughs) Bitch, you stupid bitch. You see the sign on the door and you flip the door open and it's like written in crayon on there. And it just says pork and pad. (laughs) There's a sock on the fucking. Okay. This is my pork and sock. Okay. <laughs> they want DNA, but DNA of Arthur on his wife really means nothing. Mm-hmm. Like it would be weird if it wasn't on him. They would expect to see it there. On her. Stabler says, but not Mona Sidley. We found a hair. We can get a court order. And Stabler does his little, I got you, you fucking fuck look. And I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Benson Stabler tell Varther it's clear he killed Mona to throw them off. And it's also clear that the same dude killed both women. Okay. This fucking guy says JFK and Martin Luther King were both assassinated by a lone gunman with a long range rifle. Follow your line of reasoning and Lee Harvey Oswald killed them both. No judge will sign a blood order <gasps> and then he leans back in his chair and gives stabler the i fucking got you you fucking fuck look yeah this dude is evil and of yeah. course a judge would two similar murders two days apart plus accounts and fake name like come on that's all circumstantial though yeah i feel like they've gotten court stuff for less you know well well you know what bring me bring me something that i can use it's poor people. That's why they can do that stuff. Quote, end quote, Alex yeah. Cabot. So now they just have to like wait for him to throw something away. Yeah. Which is what they'll do because it's more dramatic. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh my God, do we have to sit outside your fucking brownstone now? Jesus Christ. <sighs> Benson can't drink coffee because she'll be fucking shit in her pants all night or whatever the fuck. <laughs> when she could just run into the goddamn quick trip. <laughs> I was just going to say it. She's not going to be close enough to a gas station. <laughs> Touch the shit in her pants. <laughs> Join the Patreon. Join the Patreon. <laughs> On the other side of the glass in Craigan's genie bottle, imagine him with a ponytail, Tasha. Do it! In the little outfit. Phenomenal cosmic power! <laughs> Itty bitty living space. Oh my god, that really does describe his behind the glass. Mm-hmm. I was thinking more genie in the bottle, like the show where he was in the little outfit and like had cushions in there. Oh, and he went like this. And had a big ponytail. Bing. Yeah, and he had like a big blonde Did the, like the little nose tick? Oh wait, no, that was the witch That thing. was uh, the other That was one, bewitched. Yeah. yeah. I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. 
Anyway, so what? Cabot says Varther is defending himself very well. She tells Craig and his sabler they don't have enough to demand DNA. They need probable cause, not cumulative. So yeah, they really have nothing. But oh shit, they can get DNA because there was a fundraiser for the city blood bank that Varther and Greta went to. In the chambers of Judge Petrovsky, Cabot and Varther, that was the first time I got to say Gabe's made up name for him. Remember, he's a lawyer, so he's representing himself. So he's sitting in there arguing for himself against Cabot with the judge, right? Because Cabot's trying to get this blood in. She's like, I want to test that fucking blood that he donated. So Varther's pissed, saying that if the judge allows this, anyone who gives blood could have their rights trampled on, which is Mm -hmm. true. Cabot's like, well, the blood was taken lawfully and the blood bank didn't contest our subpoena. And Varther was like, um, what about my fundamental right to privacy? And Cabot's like, that expectation expired when you donated the blood, knowing full well it would be tested. And Varther's like, for diseases, not DNA. They are just slapping each other back and forth. And it was awesome. Varther goes on to say Cabot's using his philanthropy to get the runaround on him because she has no other way to get the DNA. Cabot's like, no, you stupid bitch. You gave that blood away freely and mama wants it. <laughs> I told you your notes get I so get weird. Silly. Yeah, you're right. And mama wants it. The judge agrees with Cabot, but says that she's limiting the scope. Of course. The judge is only going to allow them to test the blood for the same battery of diseases that the blood bank would, not DNA. (sighs) Ugh. Back in the CSI lab, Corner Warner's in there. Varther's blood type is AB, and he doesn't have any diseases. The talk screen came back, and there were high levels of Viagra and ecstasy. Our lab guy says, yeah, he took so much, he had a two-week hard-on. It was his own private rave. Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk. They ain't got shit except the ecstasy. Varther's gonna walk. But Varther takes so much Molly that he's gotta have a regular supplier who probably knows shit about him. Why did you say Molly like that? I don't know. Dude takes so much Molly. Dude takes so much fucking E that he's (laughs) he's gotta have a regular supplier. They're gonna dump his phone and have Toots look into narcotics to see if any numbers match. Toots is in a car on the side of the street when a dude walks up asking if he's looking for vitamin E. They do this fucking money handoff. Toots says, my man Varton told me this shit is good. And dude's like, whoa, no names. I got a jet and starts to take off. But Munch gets up behind him and grabs him by his collar. Munch and Toots says if he tells him about Vartan, they'll let this whole entrapment thing slide that they just did. Or he can go with them to the clinker. (laughs) Did they say clinker or did I just say that? I don't know. I don't know. This guy says he knows Varther from Kitty. Arthur liked the fucking E and set up his own account with him, whatever the fuck that means. They exchange drugs and money at this, quote, love shack on 92nd Street. He said he just dropped some off a few hours ago. And then I was like, Varther needs to fucking chill, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, he's being investigated and he's off, like, doing E and fucking, like... You need to fucking do something. Not that. Now that we're sitting here talking about it, I'm just picturing Varther, the dad from Family Ties. But I can't get like my 90s fucking raver kid out of my head when I think about Molly. So in my head, they're just like, we got to go find Arthur. And he's walking up to his apartment, but he's wearing fucking kickwear pants and etnies. And his t-shirt goes to his knees. He's wearing a visor upside down or whatever. He's got a tiny pocket in the seam of his pants. And he's like, this is where my drugs go. We're going to the rave. (laughs) My mom bought me these pants. She doesn't know that there's this little pocket here. (laughs) He's got like 900 plastic bracelets on. 
at the love shack stabler fucking kicks open this door like insane yeah and farther is straight up pork and kitty totally missionary by the way super mish the <laughs> soups mish man face to face little kissies everything fucking farther old man angry yells you have no right as he like rolls off of kitty and stabler pops his wiener out <laughs> stabler responds like frisbee tossing a paper to him and just yells search warrant <laughs> he's like oh that's invalid because you have to knock and he's like we didn't need to knock because there's a a woman moaning and benson puts her arm she's like are you okay (laughs) miss are you okay she's like yeah i was until you fucking interrupted me stabler throws clothes at them and tells them to go on now get (laughs) they have a date with a judge kitty's like varther wouldn't kill anyone and varther's like don't say anything darling He hated the way he said that. <laughs> Darling. Benson finds a one-way ticket to Brazil, but there's not one for Kitty. Mm. And then Arthur's like, girl, yours hasn't come yet. And Benson's like, they better come quick because the tickets are for tomorrow. Also, okay, Benson found those tickets so easily. Like, <laughs> wouldn't Kitty have seen them just sitting there? Be like, where are you going? What the, f-? you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Benson chipped a tooth because she tripped over him so hard. <laughs> Stupid. Ooh. Kitty is a fucking pissed. And what is the deal with her mouth? She keeps doing the mouth thing. Ugh. <sighs> Benson asks if they used a condom and Kitty's like, no, I trusted the bastard. Then shakes her head. Like they had the camera was pointing at her for like way too long. So then she didn't know what to do, I think. And then just like started shaking her head. <laughs> in the interrogation room, Arthur's sitting in there already and Benson and Stabler walk in. He's like, blah, blah, blah. You don't have any right to hold me. Blah, blah. And Benny tells him that Kitty gave them the DNA sample that he deposited. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, was he Mish coming <laughs> as they walked in the door? <laughs> Ew. Like, why did she have a deposit? So he knows that he's like done. And he goes, hmm, you'll find it's a match to the DNA I left on poor Mona Sidley. Stabler says, oh, now you feel sorry for her? Varther goes, I'm sorry she had to die. And Stabler's like, is that a confession? He's like, how do I need to fucking spell? Yeah, yeah, Stabler. Do you want to go home? No. He doesn't want to go home. He's got like 800 kids. So Varther turns his head to look at Stabler after he's like, is that a confession? And he's like, he looks like an owl. owl. (gasps) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he looks at Stabler and says, do you know what it's like to grow old, detective? Greta and I were married for 40 years when she lost interest in sex. Benson says, so you turn to sex workers? And Varther said, which is fine if that's a thing that you agree upon and it's whatever. But anyway, Varther says, that's how I found Kitty. When I couldn't keep up with her, she gave me Viagra and ecstasy. Why are you making this noise like this? You're doing it like he's like on his deathbed. He's 99 years old. (laughs) It's just more dramatic. Older and older. (laughs) It's more dramatic that way. He's withering away in front of them. It's an art piece on aging. Okay. And he says, when I couldn't keep up with her. No. (laughs) When I couldn't keep up with her, she gave me Viagra and ecstasy. Made me feel like I was 18 again. I was hooked. Stabler asked him how Greta found out. He says, from the bank. She confronted me. I told her everything. Begged her to try the ecstasy and rekindle our passion. She looked at me like I was an animal. For her, in her defense, 
which she doesn't need to be defended. But in her defense, she looked at you like you were an animal. First of all, she's confronting you with the fact that you're spending tens of thousands of dollars, 20K a month on another woman, a sex worker, which is whatever, just another woman in general. She didn't agree to that. An unagreed upon arrangement you have with another woman and that you have like a pretty intense drug habit. And you're like, right. do you want some fucking Molly? You want a roll, bitch? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she looked at me like I was changing the subject. It's like, so, it's like, like, sorry about your hot flashes. You want to fucking get high as fuck <laughs> and blow me after I've been fucking some chick you didn't know about and spending $20,000 a month? Oh. I'd be like, I don't know. You're an animal. And not you even know? 20000 of her inheritance money. Of her money. He's yeah. not making all that money, you no. motherfucker. And Benson goes, you had high risk sex just like the people she had to trace. Like she's like, I'm going to explain to you slowly why she's mad at you. And that's just one of many things that she could be upset about. Right. Varther says, I'm not like them. I'm not infected. (laughs) Benson says she wanted to divorce you and take away her money. That's why you killed her. And Varther smiles and nods his head and says, beautiful women like you wouldn't give me a second look if I wasn't rich. Ew. Yeah. Then he creepily leans into Stabler and says, what are you going to do when your wife turns you away? You do exactly what I did. Um, Jeez. what? I know you're like, J- I'm sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler leans in and says, um, he's like rubbing his temples. He goes, you murdered a complete stranger. Um, you mutilated your wife. Nothing justifies that. We are not the same. And Varther <laughs> says, I was alive again for the first time in years. In 200 years. (laughs) 200 years. Greta tried to take it away. I had to stop her. And then he disappeared into dust. Toyota. (laughs) Wow, dude. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. All right, I'm just going to jump in. Bloop. In 1956, Dennis Dolly was two years into working as a missile technician for the Air Force. He and his new wife, Joan, had traveled to London to settle in where he was stationed. It was here where the couple had their first child, Debbie. Over the course of the next 19 years, the family would do more of the same, pick up and move to wherever Dennis was stationed to make a little temporary life there. After London, they mainly stayed in the States. In 1961, five years after Debbie, they had Lori and their little fam was complete. Just two little girls. They were a very all-American family. The girls remember growing up in a happy home. Joan hosting get-togethers, Dennis dressing up as Santa for the kids on the military base. Joan was warm, kind, and open. Dennis was fun-loving and funny and goofy. In 1975, Dennis felt it was time to retire, and they had to choose a place to settle down. They'd been everywhere. So they settled down in Silmar, California. Dennis picked up a part-time job at the local golf course. He loved golf. He was also an avid fisherman and spent a lot of time on his boat. Joan had a part-time gig at the Hallmark store, and she loved that. The late 80s brought some drama, though the dollies kept it behind closed doors. Dennis was stepping out a bit, picking up sex workers on the strip. As this became a hobby for him, he met and developed a relationship with a woman his daughter's age named Brandita Taliano. He funded her lifestyle, getting her a car, an apartment, all the mistress stuff. Yeah. 
Joan went on about her life, but she wasn't dumb. She was just waiting for an opportunity, and that came in the form of losing her mother in 1991. Joan inherited a house, and between seventy dollars and $100,000, different sources said different things, so it was... But it was up there. Yeah, enough for her to like take off if she wanted to. Yes. Joan told Dennis she wasn't going to put him on the deed of the new house and that she legally didn't have to share her inheritance with him and that she wanted a divorce after 36 years. Yeah. Well, on April 17th, 1991, Joan was on the opening shift at the Hallmark store. When Joan didn't show up, her boss, Marilyn Rush, went to her house. She was concerned because this was extremely unlike Joan. When nobody answered the door, Marilyn went inside. Like, she was really close with Joan. She knew where their hidden key was. This was not only her boss, but her good friend. Yeah. She saw the house was a mess as she went through looking for Joan. She found her dead on the bedroom floor, bleeding from her head. She had been murdered. Detectives initially thought it was a home invasion slash attempted burglary situation. Their neighborhood had a bit of a higher crime rate and the house was all torn up, like I had said. And it looked like somebody had come through one of the bedroom windows. LAPD detective Paul Tippin was lead investigator on the case. Immediately, he could tell that Joan had attempted to fight off her attacker, but was ultimately killed by blunt force trauma to the head. He had mm-hmm. the foresight in 1991 to take DNA, fingernail scrapings, etc. Like anything that they could just tuck away for possibilities in the future. DNA testing was brand new and there was no database for comparison, but Tippin was like, we could use this maybe. Maybe not now, yeah. but wink, wink. Like, sometime. you don't get it, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> After the funeral, Den- what is it from? Back to the future. Back to the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. After the funeral, Dennis decided he wanted to go out on his boat for a couple of days. He told Debbie, the Dolly's oldest daughter, that he needed some time alone. Not really, though, because Dennis and Brandita took off to Vegas to party. Not only that, but Dennis was making it rain after Joan's death. He bought a new car, a jacuzzi, a gazebo, and a waterbed like the most early fucking 1990s asshole ever. Brandita and Dennis were arrested on suspicion of murder, but were quickly released due to lack of evidence. But Detective Tippin wasn't going to stop working on the case. He had a little detective hunch, and the crime scene did not leave him satisfied. There were no fingerprints, no footprints leading to the window, no sign of forced entry. It was literally like a little step stool next to an open window. I mean, you're going to find at least one of these things in a basic robbery situation. Sure. Also, Brandita and Dennis struck him and everyone really as an odd pairing, not just their ages, but their backgrounds as well. She was a sex worker who had been in and out of prison her entire adult life. She'd also struggled with heroin addiction. Dennis was a typical family man. I'm putting heavy quotes around that with a long, respectable career and roots in the community. He presented this way. Mm-hmm. Typical family man isn't a thing. That doesn't have to be a thing, right? No, people but, are but people like, are nuanced. It's, it's been presented forever that there's a, and everybody knows what that is. What what everybody's supposed to be like? Yeah, you know, like the nuclear family thing. When we all know that you can have many different types of families. Yeah. Early on in 1993, Dennis and Brandita are still together. He's talking about wanting to retire from the golf club and move up to Big Bear. In 1994, now I don't know if they're still together at this point, but in that time, between 93 and 94, they had moved to Big Bear, which is Big Bear Lake. There's like mountains, whatever. It's in California. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1984, Brandita is arrested for shoplifting. Some things I read said it was a drug charge and some things said shoplifting. So again, I don't know. But she got put away for four years. Tippin's still looking into more detail about this relationship, when and how they met. He's, I mean, this whole time that they're like, we're cool, we're fine. We're not going to get in trouble for murder. Tippin is 
interviewing people, putting all the pieces together. And then, bloop, 1994, science. DNA stuff mm-hmm. is really fucking happening now. It's new, but they can get a full profile from a friggin' drop of blood now. Mm-hmm. Tippin's like, yes. He takes a swab of Brandita's cheek to compare it to the scrapings under Joan's fingernails. You know why he can do that? Because he's got her in prison. So if that bitch wouldn't have gone to jail, who knows? Right. Processing that shit would take nearly a year at this point. Again, it's Mm. early on, so it takes a minute in the lab. So as Brandita's sitting in jail, and as this fucking DNA is processing, Dennis moved on to a woman in Big Bear named Carolyn Benjamin. Carolyn thought that he was so nice. They dated for about a year. He proposed... They were married in January of 1995. Carolyn remembers the first three months of their marriage being idyllic. Oddly, though, Carolyn notes this in an interview. Brandita continued to call Dennis from prison and he was putting money on her books. And at first, Carolyn just thought it was Dennis's good natured caretaking that prompted him to do this. But after a while, she started to grow suspicious because Brandita called a decent amount and he put a decent amount of money on her books. Mm -hmm. So after a while, she was like, does she have something on him? Like, this is an odd situation that isn't making sense to me. The DNA came back. That shit matched Brandita, that murdering bitch. Mm -hmm. They were finally able to charge her with murder. Another thing that Tippin found out was after Joan had told Dennis she wanted a divorce, Dennis reached out to his friend Gary Locke, and Brandita also hooked him up with a dude she knew through jail connections, Gary Ware. Dennis offered these dudes together $12,000 to kill Joan. Gary would later testify that Dennis said this to him, and this is disturbing. Okay. This is Gary talking. Quote, he told me he wanted me to kill his wife. He said he didn't care how I did it. I could rape her if I wanted to, as long as she was dead when it was over. He wanted it to look like a robbery burglary. Before they could follow through, Gary Ware was picked up on a parole violation and landed back in jail. And Locke didn't want to do it without Gary, so Dennis had to take things into his own hands. Prosecutors believe that early morning on April 17, 1991, Dennis let Brandita into the house. Brandina wrestled Joan out of bed into the ground, and when she had Joan pinned, Dennis hit her in the head with one of his golf clubs, killing her. They then went on to stage a robbery of the scene. April 4th, 1995, Tippin headed over to Dennis's place with a warrant to pick him up. Dennis is like, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> Brandita and Dennis were tried together as co-defendants in a trial that lasted three months. The death penalty was again on the table for these two. April 15th, 1997, Both were found guilty of first-degree murder. Additionally, Dennis had a solicitation of murder charge as well. Mm. In the end, they were both sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. Dennis had no prior record at all, and Brandita had no violent offenses on her record. Also, Debbie and Lori begged jurors in their statements to spare their father's life. All those things combined pushed the jury to go with a life sentence instead of the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Dennis died in prison in 2003, and I read that Brandita was being considered in 2018 to have her sentence commuted, but I couldn't find what happened with that. Hmm. But that's all. That's all I know. Huh. Crazy. Also terrifying. Yeah. This is my worst nightmare. Yeah, it's Ketter's worst nightmare. And why do I say that every time I talk? I think I say it every time we talk about anything. Life is just your nightmare. (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) All right. Next week, we got season four, episode five, Disappearing Acts. A high-powered executive is raped, but the situation is complicated by her involvement with the feds and the Russian mob. (gasps) And I was like, oh, here we go. Tasha's favorite Mm, shit. mm, Russian mm, accents mm, and stuff. mm, 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 mm. Dab. Mm. Don't, Tasha. 
Oh, I'm excited. Follow us on all social media, SVU Pod. Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. You did it! <laughs> you email us at svpod at gmail.com and join our Patreon. We got tons of stuff. We got all kinds of great stuff on our Patreon, you guys. Yeah. Join Little Bit Loud, hashtag Little Bit Loud, to find all these indie pods. There are some great fucking... I mean, I say it every week, but... I love all these little bit loud pods. Rate and review us. Five stars. Pew, 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 pew. One, two, three, four, five. Five stars. And tell your friends. Yeah. Okay, love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Okay, you're amazing. Okay. I love you so much. Okay, go. Thanks. You're doing great. Thank you. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> I just imagine them doing this, but they're like, all right. <laughs> but they're doing the finger in the hole, too. There's like shrimp on a skewer. <laughs> We just know. do that with the finger. <laughs> <laughs> the finger. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was all right. I think that was a good one. Thanks. I mean, you won't be on the news or anything for it, but it was good. <laughs> it was good. Stabler asked Arthur if Greta's been acting. Stabler asked Greta. I hate it. <laughs> Stabler. <laughs> the meow, day of meow, the meow, funeral. Meow, 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 meow. John would never. But they always say that, don't they? He would never. It's unsuspecting. Yeah, I got a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. To our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Sarah A, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Katrina C, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Shavani, Shayar. <laughs> I can't not do that. Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Tammy J, Sarah G, Crystal, and Lucy M. You make all of this possible. You make it possible for us to do stuff. <laughs>